St. Padre Pio, pray for us, our, our Lady of Sorrows. This is the month of Our Lady of Sorrows, September. Pray for us. Amen. All you holy angels and saints of God, pray for us. Terry, I'm reporting for duty. What about you, yes, my friend? Yes, I'm reporting for duty, and I'm honored to be reporting for duty to share the good news of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Today, just all week long, it's so good to have you back all week, brother. All week long, and I give Jesse credit, many of these <laughs> topics that he picks, I'm going, dude, these are this is great stuff. For example, today we're going to talk about, you know, the issue about climate uh, warming or climate change, global warming. Is it is it true? Is it you know is it debunked? Yeah, we're going to get to the facts on that. That's going to be an interesting topic. We're also going to and I really want to do a conference on will the real Vatican II please stand up because mm. we're going to be talking about a Vatican II from a, a Dominican priest who nailed it. Man, wait until you hear <clears throat> what he has to say about what the expectations of the church was for Vatican II, and then ask yourself this question, did it, did it even come close to it? And then third, Jesse, we were going to do this yesterday, the problem of evil. Now, we could do a couple hours on that topic, but folks, I hope we have time to get to it at the end of the show because it's outstanding. But just, you know, before we get to that, we also have the good-to-know file information, and, and I'm sure you've got some for me, but I just had to pull this one up because, you know, the National Guard, okay, my son was a National Guard. I think your son was in part of the National Guard also in the Army, yeah. correct? Yeah, yeah, correct. And um, the National Guard is set to discharge 14,000 soldiers for refusing to take the COVID jab. Now, remember, this is President Biden saying it's over. You know, COVID, it's over, it's over. We've got to live with it. So he's discharging are going to re- include those who filed medical and religious exemptions. And you know what else, Jesse? What's is really just bizarre, I, I saw in the article, uh, you know, that Biden in December began discharging soldiers for refusing their shots. But I got one good news thing. Last week, in response to a lawsuit, the, Marie, the Marines, and we have several of our listeners that are Marines. I know them personally. Mm-hmm. Uh, they rescinded an order that mandated that jabs for all members were, ma- were mandatory, stopping all further discharges of Marines who refused to take the jab. God bless the Marine Corps. Amen. All right, Jess, that's my news. Terry, uh, Georgia Democrat Stacey Abrams, she said in a a video that surfaced, she said, quote, there's no such thing as a heartbeat at six weeks. Oh, give me a break. (laughs) She said, it is a manufactured sound designed to convince people that men have the right to take control of a woman's body in place of her, close quote. Well, guess what? Even left-wing commentators, including the Washington Post, they uh, defended the statement. Others, including medical doctors, confirmed that Abrams' remark was unscientific and false. Yep. Next, Democrats seem, seem to be out of step on abortion. Democrats have spent over $124 million on TV ads wow. about abortion. Wow. more than in 2018 and twice as much as they are currently spending on any other single issue. But the party's completely out of step with voters, according to Catholic Vote Director Tom McCluskey. He said, quote, it is a fact that most Americans do not approve of abortion in the second or third trimester of a pregnancy. Next, FBI and police are concealing footage of pro-abortion crime. This is very sad, the weaponization of law enforcement. Yep. 
after the Pro-Life Pregnancy Center that, uh, <clears throat> that, that, that is run in Buffalo, outside of Buffalo, was firebombed and vandalized on June 7th, James Harden, the, the, the CEO of Compass Care Pregnancy Services, gave investigators video surveillance footage of the attack, along with what he described as a mountain of other evidence. Mm. Now, James is pretty frustrated that no arrests have been made in the case. After more than three months, he wants the footage back. When both local police and the FBI refused to return his footage, uh, James Harden decided to file a lawsuit. Good for him. You're not kidding. Finally, Florida confronts credit card companies. The state of Florida on Wednesday threatened credit card companies, Visa, MasterCard, and American Express with penalties if they go through with plans to start tracking gun and ammunition sales. The Second Amendment is foundational to our American way of life, said Florida Chief Financial Officer Jimmy Petronas. The idea that law-abiding Americans would be put on some kind of corporate watch list is disturbing. Terry? Wow. Well, that's all the news we got there. Let's get to some soul food now, Jess. Some really soul good Soul food. News. Today's gospel. Today's psalm is one of my favorite psalms. In fact, right? I named one of my books after that psalm, Psalm 144, verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock. My fortress and my mercy and my fortress, my stronghold, my deliverer, my shield in whom I trust. Today's gospel, Luke chapter 9, verse 18 to 22. Once, when Jesus was praying in solitude and the disciples were with him, he, he asked them, Who do the crowd say that I am? They said in reply, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the ancient prophets has arisen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? Peter said in reply, the Christ of God. He rebuked them and directed, and directed them not to tell this to anyone. He said the Son of Man must suffer greatly and must be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised from the dead. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. What's going on here? The apostles have been with our Lord Jesus Christ over two years. And so he asked them, it's not a trick question. They've seen what he can do, what he's done. He's a miracle worker. He, uh, he exercises people that are possessed. He walks on water. They've seen Jesus do things that no man has ever done on planet Earth. And so he asked them, who do you say that I am? Well, the apostles, they're, they're saying, well, we think you're this prophet, you're that prophet. Well, guess what? They all, they all answered incorrectly. Yeah. Then he asks a second time, but who do you say that I am? Only one person is given the, the revelation by God the Father, and it's Peter. And that's where we start seeing the, the origins of the office of the papacy. The, uh, God the Father revealed to St. Peter who Jesus was. He says, you're the Christ of God. Then Jesus, it says he rebuked them and, and directed them not to tell this to anyone. Why did he do that? Mm. Because he knew that the Jews were expecting their understanding of a Messiah was not a suffering servant who would come and die for our sins on a cross. They were looking more at a political Messiah, a warlord like King David, a holy man, but a warlord. And said he was afraid that if this got out that he was a Messiah, I mean, they were going to say, yeah. You know, throw him on our shoulders and, and, and throw a scepter on his right hand and put a, a crown in his head. And let's go beat up the Romans who have been oppressing us for decades. 
He didn't want that because he knew that they would not have understood the spiritual implications of, of what it is to be the Messiah. That first and foremost, the first coming of the Messiah is he's going to come as a suffering servant to be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and scribes. He will be killed. He will lay down his life for the sins of the world and be raised from the dead. That was too much for them to contain in their little pea brains. So he said, don't tell this to anybody. I get it, Jess. All right, let's get the smartest guy into the room. Full Sheen ahead. Bishop Sheen's comment today is, God can do something with those who see what they really are and who know their need of cleansing, but can do nothing with the man who feels himself worthy. Jesse, what I just read there was a man who doesn't need, he doesn't think he needs to repent, that, you know, this idea that everybody goes to heaven, <clears throat> um, God can't do anything with that. See, that's not, that's not the discipleship. It's not the gospel. No. And you see, this is really common right now in our church where oh, people yeah. think, hey, divine mercy means I'll, uh, that no matter how big a sin I commit, uh, everybody goes to heaven. Everybody goes to heaven. So there's no cleansing. But um, the man who feels, the man who feels himself worthy, he says a cleansing. But he can do nothing with that man. He just continues to think that, hey, I'm going to straight. I'm going straight to heaven. So it matters nothing on my life. You know, and, and the bottom line in all this is, Bishop Sheen is pointing out something that's very important for us right now, and that is, there's no mercy without. Asking for forgiveness. That's the yes. bottom line. Terry, today is, uh, the, we, we remember St. Father de Pio today Pray on September 23rd. <laughs> the Catholic Church remembers the Italian Franciscan priest, St. Father de Pio Petrolcini, ah. better known as Father Pio. Yes. He's known for his suffering, humility, and his miracles. The man later known by these names was, was originally named Francesco Forgioni, born to his parents, Grazio and Maria, in 1887. Mm. His parents had seven children, two of whom died in infancy. They, they taught the five surviving children to live their faith through the daily mass, family prayer, the rosary, and regular acts of penance. Francesco had already decided at a young age to dedicate his entire life to God. At age 10, he felt inspired by the example of a young Capuchin Franciscan, and he told his parents, I want to be a friar with a beard. <laughs> Francesco's pe uh, father spent time in America working to finance his son's education so that he could enter the religious life. On January 22, 1903, Francesco donned the Franciscan habit for the first time. He took the name, the new name Pio, a modernized Italian form of pious, in honor of Pope St. Pius V. He made his solemn vows four years later and received priestly ordination in the summer of 1910. Shortly after, he received the stigmata, Christ's wounds present in his own flesh. Alongside with these mystical real wounds, Padre Pio suffered health problems that forced him to live apart from his community for the first six years of his priesthood. St. Parapio, pray for And remember, he was, like all saints, they've been persecuted by the church in the early 60s. Mm. He was censored for false accusations. Padre Pio, pray for us. Hey, when we come back, let's ask the question, is global warming for real or is it a fake? Stay with us, we'll find out. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. There's a groundbreaking study by Italian scientists, mm -hmm. and this is right in the Pope's backyard. Yep. They're taking a wrecking ball to the climate emergency myth. 
promoted by Pope Francis and this young 19-year-old environmentalist activist, uh, Greta Thunberg. So there is a groundbreaking Italian research which debunks Pope Francis' climate alarmism. I just want to remind you that I think it was Cardinal Pell yeah, he that told this uh, back, yeah, I just pulled it up right now, 2015. Cardinal Pell says, the church is not an expert on science. And he said this in light of the papal encyclical Laudate Si, just reminding us again that climate change has nothing to do with Catholic teaching. The article says, the climate crisis that according to many sources we're experiencing today is not evident yet based on observational data. The scientists concluded in a 2022 peer-reviewed study published in the European Physical Journal Plus. The experts examined extreme meteorological events like heat waves, cyclones, floods, and, and droughts, as well as ecosystem productivity and yields of four main crops. They concluded that none of these response indicators show a clear positive trend of extreme events. As a result, these uh, Italian scientists dismissed the climate emergency myth. Here's what they said. Since its origins, the human species has been confronted with the negative effects of the climate. The scientists wrote, fearing a climate emergency without this being supported by data means altering the framework of priorities with negative effects, close quote. I'm looking here at an, an old New York Times article. The New York Times actually said that in the last 100 years, it's got one, one degree hotter. In the last 100 years, planet Earth has got one degree hotter, according to a New York Times article. Back to the article, it says, uh, these scientific... Uh, the climate crisis that, according to many sources, were experienced is not. Um, as a result, they dismissed the climate emergency myth. Yep. Since its origins, the human species has been confronted with negative effects of the climate. The scientists wrote, fearing a climate emergency without this being supported by data means altering the framework of priorities with negative effects. Yeah, Terry, I'll, I'll tell you what this whole thing is all about. I'll Gentlemen, just make it, I'll make it simple. My thoughts. Okay? Go ahead. Okay. My thoughts is that this whole climate yeah. Climate alarmism, and even mm -hmm. the Pope's behind it, by the way. He's oh, also part he of it. He bought into it. Yeah. It's, now, don't get me wrong. Saving the earth, you know, recycling, that's all good. Don't get me wrong. Of course, I do that. But it doesn't get you to heaven. Nope. And, and all this nonsense about man-made climate change, again, scientists keep debunking this from one country to another. But uh, this man-made climate change, first of all, it's not only bad science, but it's even worse theology. Because this this whole, you know, the real agenda behind all this climate change, it's really population control. I was just going to say, you took the words it, out bingo. of your mouth. Yep, you because yeah, the liberals in the United Nations and even in the Vatican, That's right. they now, they don't call it global warming. They don't call it climate change. They call it now sustainable development, which means yeah. population control. You nailed it. When you hear this, your the, the bell should be set off in your in your in your moral conscience, because you've got the world's rich and powerful, you got those that have the power with social engineering plans, big tech, big pharma. These are the ones that are yammering over and over again, nonstop, uh, and, and they're pushing the, these governments to take action. 
And it's these rich people, Terry, the, the rich and powerful, have, they have one goal in mind, at, at least in the short term. It's, number one, by, to end poverty. Well, how do you end poverty? By reducing the population. Exactly. They want to abort and contracept us out of existence and crush the rest of us under their feet. And this whole climate change crowd, they're nothing more than Margaret Sanger and her birth control movement reincarnated. And just to prove that point, Jesse, because that is exactly my position, to prove it, follow the money. I've read enough articles where scientists who want to do these surveys, if you want to get funding for these resources, uh, for for resources to do this, the first question they're going to ask you is, what's your position on global warming? Mm. If you say, oh, I, I'm going to, I think we, it's, it's true. Oh, we'll give you the money. But if you say, I believe from what I'm looking at, I want to do more research, it's, it's not true, uh, they're not going to give you a dime because it doesn't support the narrative. <laughs> no, Jess, this is a fact. Follow the money. And the money's only going for one thing, to show that, you know, we got to cut down on the population. And I really believe, unfortunately, people in our church have bought this. And, and, and I can't judge them. Uh, you know, I can only judge what their actions are. And they're missing the boat because, see, God is God and we are not. And the fact that we want to control every aspect, whether it's the weather or whether it's how many children you're going to have, See, this is not what God's design is. Man is trying to act like God, whether it's the climate or whether it's the agenda to cut down on the world population. And that's just not godly. Terry, you know who was the best, the best president uh, that where we saw a, the biggest decline in CO2 emissions in the entire world for the, for the first time? You're going to surprise us. Go ahead. <laughs> Donald Trump. Exactly. I knew that. <laughs> and, and you know, in part, he did this even though we left the Paris Climate Accord. Yeah. We had the largest CO2 emissions uh, you know, percentage decline the U.S. did uh, in the entire world. Uh, under Donald J. Trump, yeah. and so he, he he knew exactly how to handle the problem, not by alarming everybody. So the article says again that these scientific findings contradict Pope Francis' repeated doomsday claims about climate change. Yeah. And I wish the Pope would talk more about the Antichrist and climate change. Oh yeah, salvation, I baby. Think, I think that's more biblical. Thank you. Then uh, I don't find anything about sustainable development or climate change in the Bible, but I do find references to the man of sin, the son of perdition, and the Antichrist. Uh, Pope Brent Francis declared a global climate emergency in 2019. That's a misuse of his papacy, Terry. I'm sorry. It I, is. I just had to True, that. that is. It's, that's not uh, his expertise. No. He's warning that time is running out and global heating threatens the very future of the human family. Yeah. Can I just throw oh, another curveball into this that doesn't really relate directly but indirectly you mentioned donald trump okay i know the guy's got a personality that's a little rough but look at what's going on on the you just mentioned the emissions were the lowest level uh why was this guy pushed out and i'll tell you why again it comes down to the population people yeah they got to cut the trump was not into controlling anything when it comes to population no matter of fact jesse the war right now in ukraine wouldn't even be going on if President Trump was the president. I guarantee it. Okay? Yeah. Now, if if President Putin ends up using some nuclear warheads that he's promising he will use, he said, trust me, I'll do it, and he wipes out millions of people, who's that supporting? 
the narrative that we have too many people. See, this is all a big uh, setup. We've got to cut down the population. I believe, Jesse, they would be happy to see a nuclear war because then we get rid of the unwanted people and now we got some more, less population. So this all comes back down to an agenda that's trying to shrink the number of human beings and forget about God's laws. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's, it's a humanistic approach to life, and that's what we're fighting right now. Terry, the only global warming that, is that Roman Catholic Christians should be concerned about yeah. is the second coming of Christ. Exactly, brother. Uh, when he comes back, guess what? He's going to melt down planet Earth. Read Second Peter chapter 3. Planet Earth is going to melt down as we know it. It's not going to exist. That's the only global warming that we should be concerned, concerned with. It's a general judgment. Jesus is coming back. Are you ready? That's my question. Yeah. And, and just, just to jump in with what you're saying, so true. And that's why here at Virgin Most Powerful Radio, we continue to say what canon law said. It, it, we, everything is done for the salvation of souls. Now, wait a minute. How is, I mean, I got solar panels, okay, I get all that, I recycle, I get all that. But you know what I want to tell people about? Not my recycling, not my solar panels. I want to tell them about the person of Christ because that's how they get to heaven. And I'm thinking that who's influencing the church more? Is the church influencing the world or is the world influencing the church? Look what the church is putting priorities on right now. And the answer was pretty obvious. The world has infected the church. Again, the Pope's opinion on climate change is not an issue of faith and morals. We don't, we're not bound to believe it. Nope. Because this has nothing to do with fundamental Catholic teaching. Right. Climatology is not theology. <laughs> so no Catholic is bound to believe anything outside of faith and morals. And I'll tell you what's, what's sad to me, Terry. Tell me. Is when you hear Protestants, you know, like, uh, you know, John MacArthur, Pastor Youssef, and others, you know, Franklin Graham, when they speak, Terry, they sound, more, they sound more like Catholics. Of course. You know, when I read the Fathers of the Church and when yep. I read the Saints, these guys, you know, Mike Huckabee, they, they sound more like Catholics than a lot of our, the successors of the Apostles. When the Holy Father, Terry, when he speaks about climate change, he doesn't sound like, like a prophet or like a New Testament apostle, he sounds like El Gore. He sounds like AOC and other climate change prophets. Guess what? They've all been wrong. And you said it right in the beginning of the segment. Yeah. I can only imagine that there's a nice donation yep. by the billionaire globalists That's right. Just payable to Pope Francis Vatican Bank for his global warming statements because... You know, again, sometimes we know that the globalists, they'll buy your silence. But in this instance, I think the opposite is happening, Terry. Yeah. They're paying Pope Francis to speak on their behalf. Yeah. That's my take. Well, no, and Jesse, that, that's, 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 a, that's my cop mind, Terry. A, but, you know, follow the money. That's, I've been saying that all my life because it's so, so true. I would just say this, that my final thoughts on this is that we all should take care of the planet, right? No question about it. But we have priorities. And let's just say the priority is if the, if the farm is on fire and you're watering the, the, the carrots, you stop watering the carrots and you put the fire out of the farm. The farm's on fire. And so I see us right now. The church is on fire with error. I'm sorry, Jess. I see it. No, there's no clarity. And when we come back from our break, we're going to prove that the documents of Vatican II 
and what's happened have not been implemented. And see, what's happening is we're watering the cornfields when we should be putting the fire out in the house. And that's what I say right now. We're getting so distracted about global warming, we'll forget about what Jess just said, the global warming of our soul and our general <laughs> and particular judgment. That's what ultimately matters. That's Does right. it really matter, Jess, at this point that uh, we have less emissions or less sins? There you go. Now, less yeah, sins or less emissions? Yeah. The liberals, Terry, they care more about the pollution of the air than the pollution of the soul. There you go. You they know. do. And and again, when when you have when I I just lived, got a New York Times article, not exactly a conservative patriotic no, paper. They're saying planet Earth got one degree hotter in the last hundred years. Wow! I can live with that, Terry. Yeah, you think? That. Oh, my, you're in Phoenix. I'm in L.A. Yes, we can. I can live with that. Hey, when we come back, a thorough study of prayer. It's not too late to get Vatican II rate right 60 years later. What do we mean by that? Oh, stay with us. We'll be right back. We want to hear it. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. <laughs> a, a priest by the name of Father Patrick Briscoe. I'd love him. He writes, through study and prayer, it's not too late to get Vatican II right. right. It's got a picture of John, uh, Pope John XXIII uh, having the opening Mass of the Second Vatican Council. It's a Tridentine Mass. He writes, the priest writes, 60 years ago on, on October 11th, 1962, Pope St. John XXIII solemnly opened the Second Vatican Council, addressing the Council Fathers. He said, the major interest of the ecumenical council is this that the sacred heritage of Christian truth be safeguarded <laughs> and expound it with greater efficacy. Well, yeah. Yeah. That, that, that didn't happen. Quote, it, it hasn't happened. In fact, they want to change the teachings on homosexual. Exactly. On Just contraception. The no, they haven't. The opposite has happened. Yeah. The article says, referring to the sweeping and political and economic changes that had occurred in the 19th and 20th centuries, John the 23rd rejoices that the church would have the opportunity to return to the essentials of the spiritual life. That hasn't happened. Particularly the instruction of the faithful. <laughs> that hasn't happened. Here's my comment. Tell me. This is a fact. More Catholics went to Mass before 1965 than after 1965, than after Vatican That's II. That's a fact. Most Catholics knew and read their Baltimore Catechism yep. and could quote large chunks of it by memory prior to 1965. Yep. Now, let's be honest today, Terry. Today, very, very, very few people have ever read the 1994 or the 92 Catechism of the yep. Catholic Church promulgated by Pope John Paul II. It's an inch and a half thick. Most people have not read it. Most people before 65, they were reading their Baltimore Catechism because it was quick to read, yep, yep. question and answer. Yep. Uh, the article that. says, free from worldly fetters that trammeled, that means restrained or impeded her in past ages, Holy Mother Church had a, had a new opportunity to preach and catechize. And we now, I, don't agree, I don't agree with Father there. He said that we had impediments in the past. I don't know what he's talking about. We had the Protestant Reformation, I guess. You know what I think he's talking about, Jess? And I'll be what? blunt. Older priests told me this, that there was a, 
uh, a problem in the church where people were saying a Trinitine Mass really fast. I've been to Trinitine Mass. I, I've seen them too. I get I've that. Yeah. I get yeah. that. There were some. There's always in the humanity of the church. You're always going to have right. some people not living the faith, or there were um, priests who were alcoholics. We've always had that. It's, these are the things I've heard people say that the church needed to be renewed. But overall, let's just be honest. Just eighty percent of the Catholics, dude, were going to mass on Sunday. And <laughs> and look at the uh, sacrament of marriage. People were yeah. getting married in the church. They yeah. were having babies. I mean, yeah. is it, hello. Yeah, whether they were praying the rosary at mass or doing their devotions, yes, at least they were going, Terry. Yes, yes, that's <laughs> yeah. my point. So I I see where he's asked, going in that direction. Okay, and and there's always going to be that going on, no matter. How, I mean. The church is well, never going to be perfect. The cure has sure. been wor- the, the the cure has been worse than the problem. Exactly. <laughs> Further clarifying, the Pope said, "What is needed? This is Pope John twenty third. Yeah, and and what everyone in view with a true, truly Catholic uh, Christian Catholic and Apostolic spirit craves today is that this doctrine shall be more widely known, more it, deeply understood, and more penetrating in its effects on men's moral." Did that happen? Absolutely not. No, as, as Bishop Snyder. Uh, you know, what's what the title of his book? Uh, the, the Springtime That Never Came. Yeah. You like that title, don't for, you, Jesse? <laughs> for John the Twenty Third, <laughs> this wasn't a matter of changing timeless truths. He insisted that it is absolutely vital that the church shall never for an instant lose sight of that sacred patrimony of truth inherited from the fathers, but rather a matter of updating the way in which these sacred Peren- and perennial and unchanging truths are set forth in church. Let me jump in for a minute, Jess. Ahead, That's Eric. why you and I have been constantly talking about the perennial teachings of the church. And even, you know, Bishop Strickland continues to nail that all the time. And, you know, many people in the church, and I, I won't say who, Jesse, but I know very important archbishops in our country who say there are no more perennial teachings of the church. Mm. Yeah, I'm not going to name names, but you see, these guys lost it. They're not uh, Vatican. They say, "Well, I'm a Vatican II bishop." No, you're lost not. Lost supernatural faith. You have no, you have lost your faith exactly. Yeah. And this point right here that you said that John the twenty third says the matters of changing timeless truths. See, tell that to uh, Father Martin. Tell that to the liberals. I would even tell that to Pope Francis. Pope Francis. Read what your predecessor said about Vatican II, because when you talk about Vatican II, I, it sounds like you're talking about a completely different document. Yeah. But Terry, Pope Francis is trying to get rid of the patrimony, which is one of the timeless truths that yeah, goes back to the 5th century, by getting rid of the TLM. Yes. And so I would just have to th- th- say that the springtime of the new evangelization, when you have... 12 to 14 percent of Catholics in the U.S. going to Mass. It's yeah. utterly failed. And we're high compared to Europe. Yeah. Keep going, Jess. Yeah, but, but such a project was far from easy going. The, the night that John the Twenty-Third announced his plan to call a council, Cardinal Giovanni Battisti Montini, who became Pope Paul VI in 1963, mm-hmm. called a friend and commented, quote, funny. The holy old boy doesn't realize what a hornet's nest he's stirring up. Close yep. quote. The specters of simplistic divides according to narrow political terms as reported in the American press and elsewhere, between well-meaning liberals deemed morally good and conservatives defending a dysfunctional status quo haunt the Catholic faithful to the present day. A hornet's nest indeed. So to, basically he's saying that the mainstream media, they took sides right at Vatican II. Oh, big II. time, big time. Yeah, the, the mainstream media described their allies as the Vatican II liberals as morally good 
and they cons- they called the Orthodox bishops at Vatican II corrupt conservatives defending yep. a dysfunctional status. Yep. Yeah, I, I guess uh, you know what side the mainstream media was on at the Big Vatican time. And Council. Jesse, in that time, Father Ron Deschant was in the seminary, and he told me how uh, he was in the seminary, he was reporting on the council, and all these leaked documents that came out from the liberal side were, were basically coming out ahead of time. And so there was a definite agenda there that nobody can deny. Exactly. To respond to these and other phantoms, some Catholic intellectuals have begun to argue that the council was hijacked. That's yes, one theory. Of course. These thinkers are looking for a way to reconcile the Dolores realities of the early 20th century and John the Twenty-Third's noble intentions for the results of the <laughs> council, such as the church's teaching on religious liberty, ecumenical overtures, or adaptations of the liturgy, results with which they do not themselves agree. Now, here's my comment. Tell me, yes. Uh, I mean, that's partly true that the council was hijacked, but I actually think that Vatican II, much of it was never actually implemented, and I can prove that to oh, you. Yeah. Just by looking at Sacrosanctum, Sacrosanctum Concilium looks, the more like the Trident- yep. it looks more like the Tridentine Mass than the Novus Ordo Mass. Yep. And also, we know that Archbishop Bunini, a Mason, was the head of the, of the liberal Concilium. They met after Vatican II from 1965 to 1970. They started changing the church That's right. through this Concilium, specifically, specifically the Mass. They started changing it brick by brick. True. And so... The theology that underpinned the council had imagined that the mass transitioning from this highly specialized transaction between the priest and God to this true event of a sacramental communion, a communion now that's both, it's, it's now more horizontal. It's now more amongst the faithful. Yeah. Uh, so the vertical aspect has, has between God and the priest and us and God, that's been, that's been de-emphasized. That's right. And so in the implementation of this vision, uh, I, I would say that the, the vertical and sacramental aspects, which were so heavily present in the old mass, they've almost been completely lost or horizontalized right. in the community mass and meeting people where they're at in the Vatican II mass. Terry. It's, the you, Vatican II mass, is, it's a typical folk mass, yeah. which looks a lot. Protestants have told me, Paul Clay walked oh, yeah. back then. Uh, from Calvary Chapel, after many years, he goes, this looks like Calvary Chapel. That's what he told me when yeah. he came back to the church. I believe it. And to prove all this, Abbot Boniface Lukey, who was a friend of mine, believe it or not, was when at Paritas, before, during, and after the council, he worked with Bunini. I have a three-hour interview with him, and everybody should get that. Just call the 877-526-2151 number, because when you listen to this three-hour dialogue with um, Bob Hutchinson. I hired him as a National Catholic Register writer to do this interview. We had all these questions about Bunini and about what took place after the council. He's saying exactly what Jess Romero just said. Now, Jesse was a little baby, little boy when this was going on, so he didn't know what was going to happen at the time. But Abbot Boniface was an eyewitness to it, Jess. And I think that's why his interview is so good, because he was there, and he and Bunini had a walking away of friendship over this because he believed that what was originally said in the documents of Vatican II were hijacked by Bunini between 65 and 69. Mm -hmm. That's his position, and that's someone who worked on the documents, not Jess Romero sitting back in his studio or Terry Barber here way back. No, these are guys that were there when it happened, Jess. He's an eyewitness to the corruption that went on there. 
Wow. Others will say the documents of Vatican II, that's the actual teachings of the Council, are sound. However, the application of the teaching by many was ill-considered, even heretical. That, that's another uh, position that I hold to as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's only four documents that I would admit that, that ha- have posed some problems. I've got my Vatican II book here, oh, yeah. well worn out. Uh, the Constitution on the Sacred Liturgy, that's never been implemented. I can tell you right now. Of course not. I can read Adoration? I can chunks of it. Yeah, it's, it, looks, it, it, looks like the, it looks like the Trinitine Mass when you read it. Yeah. Another problematic document, which is not, it's not a dogmatic document, so I can say this. It's a yeah. pastoral document. It's called the Decree on Ecumenism. And you don't believe me? Think about Pachamama. Think about what happened in exactly. In Canada. That's been uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Look horrible. At, look at you know the 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 Assisi uh, uh, gatherings. Stop this evangelizing. Yeah, this it comes from this decree of um, ecumenism. Another problematic document, and and I'll tell you this from people like you know the Wanderer and, and Remnant people that I've been reading for years as well, is also the Declaration on the Relation of the Church to Non-Christian Religions. In other words, we softened our position. Yeah. Separated brothers, or not, no, 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 Protestants, or heretics, or schismatics. Separated brothers, uh, you know, we worship the one, uh, one true God with Islam. Statements like this that have never been made before are found on on this declaration on the on the relation of the church to non Christian religions. And then the other one, that's uh, again a little bit that a lot of uh, uh, Catholics would, would 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 have a problem with, is the declaration on religious freedom. Yep. The Declaration on Religious Freedom. Uh, those are the four documents that really most most people that have more of a conservative uh, Orthodox view see a problem there. And you can see it in the modern church. The problems have, have manifested. Amen. Very- we come back. My One of my big topics. And the existence of evil disproved God's existence. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. This is a big, the greatest argument <laughs> used by atheists and secular humanists against Ooh. people of faith. Yeah. They'll say, if, if there is evil, can the existence of evil disprove God's existence? Atheists and secular humanists say, yes, it does. That's the way they'll argue. Sister Anne Marie... Uh, argues in good Thomistic fashion. She does. She says the existence of evil is a common objection to the existence of God, or at least to a personal God who's all-knowing and all-good. How is it possible to reconcile belief in God with the clear evidence of evil and its manifold manifestations? This is a good question, and one that people have been asking for thousands of years. Heck, just read through the book of Job in the Old Testament. (laughs) To answer the question... Two related yet distinct ideas must be examined. The first is the meaning of evil. Yeah. Finally, or firstly, it's necessary to establish what exactly is meant by evil. When speaking of evil, it's easy to see it as a force that drives nature or people towards destruction. However, evil does not exist per se, meaning in and of itself. It only exists in such things as a lack of something that should be present. St. Thomas Aquinas wrote in the Summa, quote, Every being, as such as good, evil can exist only in good, as in its subject, close quote. For example, blindness is not something added to the eye. It is a lack of a power that should be there. 
the eye suffers the deprivation of the, of the good of the sight, which is an evil. Sickness is not the addition of a new perfection. It is the lack of health in a body. Hence, a physician works precisely to restore someone to health, the good state the body should be in. The understanding of evil is important because it immediately rules out the idea that the material world is evil and must be overcome in order for human persons to be happy. That dualistic perception of the world and its origins is at the heart of the Manichaean heresy that St. Augustine embraced by them mm -hmm, that's right. as a young man, which lies within the Gnostic tradition. Essentially, this is Gnosticism, Yep. the two eternal principles of good and evil are at war, and all, and all matter is seen as evil. This is, of course, is in direct opposition to the biblical tradition which precedes it, in which all creation is declared good, even very good, in Genesis chapter 1. Matter is definitely not evil in the biblical vision. Amen. What about when bad things happen? Physical or natural evil that people experience is playing out, is the playing out of the laws of the universe. Like the earthquake that causes the tsunami, that causes the destruction of an island and all the plants and creatures living on it. On the one hand, it is seen as a tragedy. On the other hand, however, it happened, it's perfectly logical, and it can be traced through the laws of nature. Yep. This type of evil can also be quite relative. For example, the lion eats the antelope. <laughs> Good for the lion. Yeah. Evil for the antelope. As St. Thomas wrote in the Summa, quote, Now the order of the universe requires that there should be some things that can and do sometimes fail, close quote. Well, and then he talks about the existence of evil. Secondly, once evil is understood as a privation of good and not a principle of existence, the idea of free will is rational. Creatures must be addressed. Moral evil is more a nuance, nuanced than physical evil. And it is really at the heart of the above stated question about God. Moral evil refers to the choice by a rational creature to do what he knows is not good. Very well said. Either for himself or for others. In this case, the privation of good that ought to be there is caused by the choice of the creature. For example, the thief lacks the virtue of justice. You know, free will, really. The good that ought to be present, namely... The ready disposition to give to each what is due is lacking. Instead, the thief has an inordinate desire to possessions and violates justice in order to satisfy that desire. A famous line from Alexander Solzhenitsyn summarizes this perfectly. Gradually, it was disclosed to me that the line separating good and evil, this is great, passes right through every human heart mm. and through all human hearts. Well said. Man, each and every man chooses to commit moral evil or not. See, free will. God is not the cause of this type of evil, but he does allow it. His permissive will allows us for having free will. Go ahead, continue, Jess. Alexander Solzhenitsyn spent oh, years decades in, prison, in, in, Russian. Yeah, in a Russian prison, oh. and that's where he really had a conversion to Christ. Mm. 
And uh, what he's talking there about the heart of man, Jeremiah said that, the prophet Jeremiah chapter 17, he says, the heart of man is desperately wicked, and who can know it? In other words, only God can know it. The article says, if God is all good, why doesn't he stop people from doing bad things? This is the conundrum, right? The answer lies in the great value and the goodness of freedom. You got it. Even when it has gone wrong. Make no mistake. God has explained what freedom is for. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Or as St. Paul wrote in the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not kill, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this sentence. You shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is fulfilling of the law. Romans chapter 3, Mm -hmm. verse 9 and 10. So each person has an innate understanding that what St. Paul says is true. Freedom's true true purpose is clear. Yet if someone makes a bad or a vicious choice, God still permits the choice. He will. Yep. The power of goodness and love Mm -hmm. latent within the human will is so great and good that God will not thwart man's use of it. He wants humans to choose to choose to love freely. Yep. To love him freely, to love the self freely, and to love others freely. He could have created puppets who automatically loved him and could not do otherwise. He did not. As such, there are adverse consequences to human freedom, sin, and the effects of sin. My comment would be this. Yeah, tell me, Jess. The difference between Christianity and Islam is this. We believe that God the Father has created us. He's a loving father who's created us with free will. There you go. They don't understand The difference between Islam is that Islam, they actually believe in a cosmic rapist. Why do I say that? They do. Because Allah predestines some people to heaven, predestines some people to hell. You have your free will, notwithstanding can't change what Allah has decreed for you in the Islamic worldview. That some people are destined for heaven, some for hell. There is nothing you can do to change that in Islam. And so what does a rapist do? A rapist forces his self, his love on somebody else. Well, his perverted love. Well, that's exactly what double predestination is. And and the point is, in Christianity, God doesn't want slaves. God wants sons and daughters. But God will not override your free will. Remember that. I remember talking to a Mormon at a a hotel, I mean, a Muslim at a hotel, and I talked about free will, and she had no idea. And I said, look, the only value in saying yes to God is you have the freedom to say no. And she says, no, I don't believe that. You can't say no to God. You don't have any free. It's it's not it's not your choice. And I'm thinking, wow. I feel like, I, how do I communicate to that person about a personal God who loves you enough to give you freedom to choose Him? What what value is there to choose God when you can't choose Him? It's just put on you. See, I don't see that. Just let's finish. Wrap it up in a minute or two with the sin, sin and, and evil. evil. That is really the crux of the problem. The article says mm-hmm. it can be explained metaphysically and in a satisfactory way that yeah. evil exists. But God's seeming absence from the scene, a scene right when we need him, fails to satisfy. But is he absent? St. Augustine says, For the Almighty God, 
who, as even the heathen acknowledge, has supreme power over all things, being himself supremely good, would never permit the existence of anything evil among his works, if he were not so omnipotent and good that he, that he can bring good even out of evil. St. Augustine's argument here is actually the only solution. The existence of evil cannot disprove the existence of God, because evil exists only in something good as in a subject, for example, blindness in the eye, illness in the body, or as part of the lawful order of the universe. Yet God's allowance of evil, especially evil freely chosen on the part of human persons, cannot but bring us to the question of why. To begin to understand this, the nature of human freedom must be appreciated and understood. Freedom is, here, this is the cash value. Freedom is a power for good, not for evil. But it can be misused. God allows us because this is how he created rational human beings for the good, capable of evil. He will not go back on his creation. At the same time, the evil that God permits will, in his time and purposes, be an avenue for from which he brings good. Terry? Well said, Jesse. I just want to remind everybody... I'll be doing the Bible with the Barbers, and today's topic is a biblical worldview of human sexuality. Now, that's going, wait a minute. Well, yeah, because right now we have a man's, a man's view that sexuality is whatever feels good. So we're going to cover that after this show. And if you don't have it on your station, you can go to our, our website, vmpr.org, and download our, our free app. Jesse, this sister, Anne Marie, has done a great service to the church because she put this in in a, in a very simple way. I bet she, I bet she's not a habitless nun. Oh no, I can tell you she's a traditional nun who who believes in original sin and the whole nine yards. Yeah. That, that's one of the things I recommend everybody when you talk to somebody about the faith, you ask them what their understanding is about original sin, and if they tell you, oh that's a that's old hat, we don't believe it didn't that happen. anymore. It didn't yeah, happen. no, they're just figment. You know, then you know, don't talk to them or don't don't take their advice for anything. Right? And I'm talking even counselors when you go to do counseling. Just wrap it up, brother. What state are we going to be living in for all of eternity? What well, we please God, we're going to live. If, if we live in a state of grace, we'll spend all eternity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But if we don't live in a state of grace, the elevator goes down. Catholics, yeah. living, in, living in a state of grace means you're free from mortal sin. It means you're even fighting and resisting venial sin. It means you have, you're, you have friendship with God. It means you have a dedicated prayer life, a dedicated sacramental life, and you have faith in God and all that he promises. And remember, this is Friday, so this is a fast day for us. Yeah, something, what are you going to make a sacrifice? Because remember, Our Lady said souls are going to hell because no one's there to make a prayer and sacrifice for the salvation of souls. We all can participate, especially on Fridays. Do some act of charity or some sacrifice. Go visit Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament. Make reparation for the atonement of the sins of the world and of the church. Amen. May God bless you and I'll see you on the other side.